Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Riverman. Dean, when was the last time you had to spend an appreciable amount of time in a hospital? Maybe an overnight Ooh. stay? No, no. Like length of time? No. Has it been a while? Well, like a birth of a child 11 years ago? That was I, the last time? Really? You haven't had any reason yeah. since? No, not really. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. I mean, I really actually haven't either. You know, I, again, the birth of my son was the last time I spent an overnight in a hospital. The only yeah. time, and the only other time before that is I had food poisoning once. Ooh, that's not good. And I had to spend a couple days in a hospital. A couple days? Yeah, it wasn't the most... I probably <laughs> didn't oh, have to, but it was one of those things where they just kept me for a couple of Life days. Life was anyway. good. Yeah. You know, they're bringing I mean, you food. Yeah. <laughs> you had a view out the window. I had no <laughs> desire to go anywhere else for a little while there. So what did I care? Understood. Yeah. Well, okay. So then let's let's talk about the, you know, the experience of being in the hospital. Because yes. I don't know too many yes. people. I mean, obviously, if you have to go to the hospital, it's probably not for a good reason anyway. Correct. And the experience probably isn't pleasant for that reason, but I feel like a lot of people just don't have great experience in the hospital. This is in true. General, this is true. Yeah, you know, and 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 there's a lot that can that can evolve around that. And healthcare is they're taxed more than ever. Obviously, mm. you know, the last few years have Oof, yeah. really put a burden on the on the, on yep. the healthcare system for sure. But I, so that's why I think it's more important than ever that providers start embracing new technology ah, and new methodologies yes. to. To improve like satisfaction scores and make outcomes. The, the outcomes. Can we say business outcomes when we're talking about people? It, well, I mean, it's <laughs> let's be honest, it is a business. Is. As much as we might not like yeah. it to be, it is a business. That's they right. have they have you know ends to to meet. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking today about analytics in healthcare in yeah. particular as being one outlet to help healthcare mm-hmm. systems, especially hospitals, really kind of, you know, drive the business side of things yeah. while also making sure that they're providing the best care possible yep. for all their patients. Yeah. We've got Tim Kubelbeck with us today from Ambient. He's going to help mm-hmm. us talk a little bit more Great about company. this. Great yep. company. Exactly. They're on the forefront of, yep. of clinical analytics. We're going to dive into the current state of healthcare, where things are right now, what he's seeing out there, what's happening, what's coming. We're going to talk about analytics, data collection, how, you know, how that's become a hot topic, what healthcare organizations should be focused on what they should be using that for. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into some of the the specific areas where it can be helpful and help and, and help hospitals make better decisions. Nice. And also what they should be looking for when it comes to figuring out you know what kind of support software and, yes. and partners they want to have. There you go. And then finally we'll wrap up. Let him tell us a little bit more about Ambient, what yep. they do, how yep. they help, how they can help our VARS out. VARS, yes. So, how can I mean, they? Yep. Nice wide ranging conversation about all things healthcare. I'm I pretty, like I'm it. Pretty uh, excited about this yep. one. Yep. We're good to go. All right. So all that plus our usual value to the VAR and what's tech connecting with us, it's time to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. Our guest today, as I mentioned, is Tim Kubelbeck. He is the Chief Customer Officer for Ambient Clinical Analytics. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, your day-to-day work, and, and how you got to be where you are. Yeah. Well, thanks thanks for having me. Uh, very happy to be here. You know, like you said, my name's Tim Kubelbeck. I'm with Ambient Clinical Analytics. Uh, I've been in healthcare uh, a long, long time, literally since the late 80s. Some, some would call me a, a dinosaur, but I've been around through multiple, multiple transitions, including uh, the Y2K transition, which was a, a very interesting time. And it's, you know, moving into this uh, era, the, it's, it's kind of the post-pandemic era, right? And whereas uh, previously it was the post-Y2K era. So it's, it's a very interesting time to be in healthcare. 
as far as what I, I do every day at Ambient, I run the sales, marketing, and client satisfaction uh, teams at Ambient Clinical Analytics. So, you know, any of our customers' happiness, uh, uh, any new sales or existing sales, uh, and then marketing all rolls up uh, underneath the chief customer officer. He's got nothing to do all day. You just <laughs> handle all the customers for Ambient and yeah. make sure they're all happy. <laughs> I'm sure that's just yeah, a, you're good. That's a light lift, you know. Yeah, that's a light lift. No, yeah. Nothing too much work there. Just making sure everyone's happy. I think We're we fine. need to speed yeah. things up a little bit so we can get back to his normal yeah. job. <laughs> no doubt. I'm sorry. That's not a job I don't think I want. Like, yeah, hey, no. it's your job to make sure everyone that Everybody. buys from us is happy and yeah. that you're marketing it right. No yeah. pressure. Yeah. yeah, no pressure. All right. Well, hey, let's talk about the current state of healthcare because, as you mentioned, you know, we're in kind of a, a different phase than where we were a few years ago. Uh, and, and, and a lot's happened, you know, after the worst of the pandemic is, mm-hmm. is you know, hopefully behind us. Yep. We're coming out of that. But there's still a lot of things going on in healthcare, a lot of decisions to make, mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, new practices to adopt and, and move forward with. So tell us right now what's working and what isn't in healthcare. Yeah, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I think uh, one thing that's really proven to work well is telehealth in, in the ambulatory uh, market or the ambulatory care field, if you will. I think the, the pandemic proved that that's a, a very viable method of uh, clinical care delivery. And, and I think it's permanently cemented in uh, our care delivery system now. So we'll, we'll see that moving forward, I think, from here till the, the end of time. It may uh, drop a little bit. I know during the pandemic, there was a lot of people doing telehealth visits. And I, I think that number has gone down and will probably continue to go down too. But it, it without a doubt, is working well and will remain a staple uh, on the ambulatory care side, at least. I think what's not working well post-pandemic is r- really three things. And, and uh, of those three things, they're, it, they're pretty much all tied together and they're major issues, if you ask me. One is is cost. If you think of all the locum tenens and and uh, traveling nursing costs, you know, those costs have severely restricted healthcare systems from moving forward with clinical decision support tools and, and digital health. Just, I mean, just the other day I was talking to uh, a nurse at a major system on the East Coast and she said, we want to do this, but we have to wait till we get a couple more good quarters. The The traveling nursing costs are killing us. So we're seeing that have a major effect on hospitals and health systems rolling these solutions forward that are going to help with the physician and nurse burnout uh, and things of that nature. And that that's the next one, right? The, the burnout. I think, you know, we've always known there was smoke there and that physicians and nurses were struggling with their uh, care of, of patients. But the pandemic, I think, really exposed that, you know, made it more of a raw nerve, if you will, and uh, showed that Doctors and nurses are under extreme stress and extreme mental tough conditions when it comes to, to caring for patients. Um, and, and to me, that's really an indicator that, you know, clinical decision support tools can really help in that, that area from an efficiency perspective and from helping automate some of the things that they shouldn't have to be concerned about. Uh, and then the, the last, I think, is the, the great resignation. That's really hurt hospitals I think it's hurt a number of industries, especially the the service market around uh, food and restaurants, right? But in healthcare, the the after effect is even greater. There's plenty of studies out there that prove as the nurse to patient or the physician to patient ratios go up, which they have tremendously over the last two years, 
that mortality increases, outcomes decrease, you know, a lot of the things that healthcare is really, really worried about uh, start to suffer. So, you know, if we can do something along the lines of clinical decision support to alleviate that, I think that would go a long way in helping solve those three problems for healthcare. Healthcare is not immune, right, to, to what we're nope. finding in the labor force. Nope. When you think about it, and thanks for kind of quantifying in that way, Tim, it's like we always talk about warehouse workers and right, restaurant right. workers who are hard to find, but the burnout and what's happening in healthcare, very real, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it real issue. And it's and it's interesting to tie it back to what is working, you know, kind of where you were, where the telehealth, because that can kind of replace some of that labor, a little bit of it, or at least... You know, uh, you know, you can jumpstart some of that through telehealth right, and stuff right. like that. But if you look at, you know, some of the trends that are happening on where the IT spend is going, and telehealth seems to be definitely one of those ones that, that, that's up a, on the on the radar. Um, demand for wearable tech is another one of those things. You know, these remote monitoring types of things uh, that are collecting data uh, while they're you know, while you know they're just sitting there collecting data and stuff like that. So. Uh, it, it's interesting. It's interesting to see how the the labor trends. You know, healthcare still has to get done. So, right. are we going to continue to use technology? And and what are you seeing, Tim? I mean, I'm maybe throwing you a little bit of a curveball here, but do you agree with that? That you know, there's there is implementation of now technology to kind of offset where some of these labor woes are happening and stuff like that. Yeah, I I, I think that's a great point. And and back to your telehealth example that I brought up earlier too, right? So that's been used in the ambulatory field. It's been used fairly successfully in the intensive care units as well, right? So you think of a, a tele-ICU command center. There are, there are now companies and solutions that are focusing on taking that concept of technology and driving it across the entire acute care uh, delivery platform. So uh, into general acute care beds, into step-down beds, into ED beds, not just for the ICU or intensivists anymore. It's also for hospitalists. And then I think the, the step after that is to drive that into uh, skilled nursing facilities and hospitals at home. You mentioned the wearables with, with the wearable device. I mean, Apple's got, what, three FDA-approved uh, devices already, maybe four. Uh, you know, you're just going to see that grow and grow and grow. And, and uh, with those kind of devices, it makes it very reasonable to monitor those patients remotely. And after all, they can heal a lot better at home than they would in a hospital. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I think that's starting to happen in the digital health industry is this digital uh, clinical analytics platform that's driving rules and driving detection and, and an understanding of what's occurring within the patient and giving that understanding to the physicians and nurses. So I think, you know, to your point, that's that's exactly where the market is starting to go. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. I think that that's why this is such a good conversation because I think, you know, a lot of our resellers understand data, <laughs> right? I mean, they understand the acquisition of data and things of that nature. But when you think about it, healthcare, everything that we just described from wearables to other ways of transforming the healthcare industry is data intensive. It's yep. adding more data <laughs> to, exactly. to the entire process. And, and so, you know, I was reading articles that the volume of data that is now, you know, it, it was it was happening pre-COVID, but now that you have everything that Tim has described with the labor issues and stuff like that, the volume is intensifying and it's creating such things. And I, I guess we'll get into it a little bit, but things like data lakes, right? Now you have these lakes of data that, 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 it's incumbent upon companies like Ambient to 
to figure out ways of parsing from that data meaningful information right. that the care physicians or the caretakers can utilize in order to facilitate better care yep. at the end of the road. And, and that's the perfect segue kind of in our next question here, oh. which is, again, what do you what do you do with all this? We mm. know we know analytics, we know data, data collection, all that stuff is it's a big hot button issues. Mm-hmm. Everyone understands they need to collect it. And to your point, there's plenty of stuff out there that is doing it already. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of devices that are collecting data and collecting information. But what do we do with that? And what, you know, what should healthcare organizations be focused on? So help us out there, Tim, to, you know, if, if you were in healthcare right now, or if you're talking to someone in healthcare, which I'm sure you guys do all the time, obviously, <laughs> but, uh, what, you know, when they're asking like, okay, so, you know, you're talking to me about collecting all this analytics and data, mm-hmm, and I'm mm-hmm. supposed to be gathering this information. What should I be doing with it? What should I be paying attention to? What should I be actually focused on? And what's just kind of noise that maybe I shouldn't? So where, where do you help them start that process? Yeah. So that, that's a great question. And when you think of clinical decision support and, you know, uh, data, really what I think of is the ability to drive clinical efficiency and uh, clinical process. So if you think of clinical processes today, some of them are not so complex. Some of them are extremely complex. And the extremely complex ones are extremely difficult for a physician or a nurse to uh, monitor. And I think that's where these standalone softwares that are outside of the EHR um, are really uh, having a major impact on the the delivery of care. And I I think that what we've seen over the course of the pandemic as other companies are starting to develop these tools is uh, an incredible impact that they're going to have on healthcare over the, uh, the coming years, right? That I don't think was visible two or three years ago. Just from our perspective, our roadmap has changed with the pandemic and rolled uh, ever so slightly now understanding all of that. And if you take sepsis, for example, right, um, there are FDA class two cleared tools that accurately detect sepsis and then drive the appropriate bundle elements. The problem is using today's homemade EHR tools to dry, try and drive that clinical analytics is, so you have a solution that detects sepsis, but but then what? There's seven components to the treatment bundle that are based on five different timers, and those timers kick off at different times based on the patient's clinical condition. Like, did they have two low blood pressures, right? On the second low blood pressure, then fluids becomes required. And so it's extremely hard for those types of processes to be tracked and for hospitals to deliver good care and be efficient at it. And with digital health, all of that can be codified into the solution that says, hey, this patient just had their second low blood pressure. Let's send a reminder to the physician that she needs to order fluids. And then to the nurse to say, hey, the physician ordered fluids, you need to hang the bag. So driving that kind of uh, clinical process using the data and the analytics is is very different than the data lake that you referred to earlier, Dean. I mean, that's that's population health. That was kind of the first step in these big giant data captures, and now we're seeing that move more into the real time and into digital uh, health. Um, I think uh, something else that's important to understand is there are a lot of niche versus framework type solutions out there, right? So if you think of the issues that you're trying to solve. There's like, I know University of Chicago is trying to solve chronic heart failure issues and, and MI, uh, myocardial infarction issues some time ago. And they bought a solution for just one of those issues. 
the reality is they may end up ripping that solution out and replacing it because they don't have a solution that is malleable to other clinical conditions. So as you're looking at these solutions, you definitely want to buy a platform and not a, a niche niche solution because then you're just going to end up doing that work all over again, if that makes sense. So that's really uh, an important piece. Um, and I, yeah, I think that that's really the the digital health platform direction where that's going today. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, getting back to the point that you've you've got this variety of information now mm -hmm. coming in, pouring into healthcare, which is interesting to feel, you know, think about that framed out that way. They're gathering data from all these sources mm -hmm. and, and, and how do you manipulate it? It's, it's more than just the EHR, right? It's more than just the, the big system and, and, and the information that was stored in there. It's all these other data points that are coming in and, and how to facilitate that. I think that's where the opportunities are. And, and as Tim was speaking at one of our um, or a part of a, one of our summits, you know, it's, it's kind of understanding that, right? It's, it's getting to know that this is happening in the marketplace. There's right. this data influx, um, but, but there's a need, obviously, to, to, to manipulate the variety of data that's coming in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I, I'm continuously fascinated by some of the data you can get and what you can do with it. The one that really stood out to me over the last few years is when you started hearing about the, the wastewater analysis. That oh, was right. Happening. Yes. Like exactly. as a way to track, you know, where there yeah. might be COVID spikes. COVID trends. You know? yeah. mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and, you know, and you hear more about that and you're hearing more discussion about, hey, that can be a, a great way for us in the future to track any kind of, you know, pathogens or diseases as they're mm -hmm. spreading and maybe get mm -hmm. ahead of them. That's the kind of stuff where I'm like, man, there's there's no there's no wrong way to get to take that kind of data in and mm -hmm. find something useful to, to get out of it. That's the right. kind of kind of stuff you'd want to be, you know, want to be working on. But to Tim's point, yeah, you know, I think anything that anything that you can grab onto that's gonna help you make the day-to-day -day processes and workflow move faster and mm -hmm. smoother and more efficient. And, and is going to address all those issues and challenges we've already been talking about, there's no reason not to to embrace those. And, you know, we'll get to this more later on about, you know, how as VARs, we can help partner up with companies like Ambient mm -hmm. in order to go in and position ourselves with those kind of solutions. Because that's the stuff, that's the stuff I feel like most hospitals and healthcare organizations are really, really want and need. And they may not know what to ask for. They may not know what what they actually, what they actually will get them to where they want to be, mm -hmm. until you come in and help have that conversation, mm -hmm. ask the right kinds of questions. Be like, hey, you know, I see you guys are doing this. What is that actually helping you with right now? You know, like you, like you mentioned the the myocardial infarctions. You know, mm -hmm. like you know, okay, let's say um, you've got that platform doing this. How's that helping you? Great. Wouldn't you like something like that for sepsis or something mm -hmm. like that for some other kind of treatments that you do? Mm -hmm. And if, you know, asking those kind of questions to help expand that out a little bit and, mm -hmm. and get them to that point where maybe a broader platform is actually going to mm -hmm. help them. So, but, but Tim, you're saying that being overly niche in, 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 the, in the care is actually a detriment, right? Because it all kind of has right. to work within the platform and, and the data needs to be uh, shareable and, and things of that nature, right? So if you're just hyper niched on something, it's not... Uh, to your to your use case that you used, you might have to rip and replace that because it's not connecting to other parts. Uh, so the quality of care, which is at the end of the road, you know, the goal is too narrow uh, in in that in those cases. Yeah, and and it it can drive uh, good care around MI, for example, myocardial infarction, right, and and detection, and then driving that clinical process. But there are a host of clinical conditions that occur in hospitals for patients, strokes, um, surgical site infection, catheter-associated urinary tract infections, DVT, VTEs, 
embolisms. I mean, there is just, it's, it's a dozen or so that need to be monitored, if you will. And so having a platform that's malleable across those is, is extremely important because you, sepsis might be the number one issue that they're facing today, but long-term they're, they're going to need to take it to a different level. Yeah. Yeah. yeah makes definitely. sense. Well then let's, let's dive a little further than here into picking the right platform mm, and figuring mm-hmm. out which direction to go here when you realize like, yeah, I need to have something that is more expansive and not so niche. So obviously treating, you know, patients for things like sepsis, readmissions, preventing deaths, all this stuff can benefit from, from these smart clinical analytics. But help us understand what hospitals should be looking for and asking about when they're trying to find some decision support software. What kind of questions should they be asking? And therefore, what can we equip our VARs with so that when they're going out and partnering up with you and having these discussions, they know how to position their solution, your solution against others that might say, well, we do the exact same thing, (laughs) but we'll do it for much cheaper than that or something. Yeah, well... The good news is for us, they, they don't, right? But uh, to, to answer that question, I really think it's a two-part answer when you're looking at these types of, of technologies. One, and probably uh, is going to be a lot more important uh, based on some recently released guidelines, is FDA compliance. You know, there are a multitude of solutions out there that are doing what we do and doing what others like Ambient do, but have not bothered to go through the FDA class two process. And I'll, I'll dig a little bit deeper on that. But then the second piece of that is technology, right? So what, what does the solution do? And going back to the malleable thing, is it malleable to other clinical conditions? I think is, is part of it, but back on the FDA guidelines um, in, in the middle or end of September, the FDA clarified or re-released guidelines around clinical decision support. And in that, they specifically called out uh, that clinical decision support tools that do detection of, suggestion of a a particular clinical issue, or drive a clinical process for life-threatening conditions, and they use the phrase like sepsis, um, must be FDA cleared is essentially what the new regulations say. And and the scary part about that is that probably less than 1% of the hospitals in the U.S. have deployed clinical decision support tools that are FDA class two cleared when they really are required to be. And so if you think of, to your sepsis example, um, the sepsis problem, you know, essentially in the U.S., roughly 50% of all patients that are septic get the appropriate treatment. Think about that for a second. Let's let's back that up and give a different example. If you were to your earlier example, when's the last time you were in the hospital, Dean? You said for for a birth, right? Eleven years ago. If you knew that that hospital was going to give your birth or or handle that birth correctly, fifty percent of the time, you'd probably choose a different hospital because that's no the, doubt about it, right? Yeah. So, and that's what's occurring in sepsis across the U.S. is that those patients aren't getting and, and and the ramifications of that the outcomes are horrendous we're talking about amputations long-term organ damage um readmits you know 90 day 60 day 30 day mortality rates that are are not good when you don't do that correctly so that fda clearance is is extremely important and and will help drive a lot of the clinical efficiencies we've been uh talking about uh so far and i think there will be some hospitals and health systems that choose to 
disregard that because they're either halfway through a deployment or they just finished a deployment. But th there's a lot of risk in that, right? From from mortality on. I know in, in Minneapolis, about three, four years ago, there was a, a major lawsuit around uh, sepsis. And I think it ended up costing the health system something like uh, $24 million, right? And, and, you know, even the most diligent nurses and physicians, they get fatigued, they, they make mistakes. And so having FDA compliant approved solutions that have gone through peer review, that have gone through those studies and, and have been proven to be effective for a certain type of application, make, they just make sense in the industry. And I think we're going to see a lot more of the hospitals very quickly start to adopt that kind of a, a technology, if you will. And then I think the last thing is really around the technology. So without going too deep, you know, things that you need for a, a hospital to help prove that efficiency. One is data, what I call data visualization or clinical situational awareness. You need to be able to look at your analytics platform and, and with either a hover over or just looking at the iconography, understand what's occurring with your patient. And that's, and that's rare in today's tools, but the, all of the data is there to do it. And, and that makes a huge difference for physicians and nurses. It saves them minutes and minutes and minutes in the back room trying to understand by digging through the EHR what's, what's going on with the patient. Uh, something I mentioned earlier, clinical validation. You know, having proven peer-reviewed studies that show the efficacy of your solution, the efficacy of your, your algorithm, and, and show that you know, your compliance to the clinical therapies that are required for that are, are better. That's extremely uh, important because that's what will drive and improve care delivery from an automation perspective. So obviously that improves efficiency is, is part of that. And then the last thing, you know, I think in the last 10 years with the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, um, so many hospitals and health systems have deployed major EHRs, whether it's Epic or Cerner, or and they've they've just been embedded in these these workflows, and it's difficult. In fact, if you talk to physicians, a lot of them will tell you it was more difficult when they didn't have the tool in terms of of their practice. And so, embedding into that your data visualization and your iconography into that workflow, so they can get that same understanding and that same picture of what's going on, that same situational clinical awareness of what's going on with their patient uh, inside of the EHR without leaving the workflow is very, very important. I can see that. Hey, let's go back real quick to that class two certification. That's that's interesting. So FDA comes out with these guidelines. How difficult from a software development standpoint is it to get approved class two. I mean, is that a, is that a process that takes years or months or weeks or, you know, I, and, and part of the reason why I'm asking the question, I'm wondering in my mind if this creates a slowdown of, of, you know, obviously the need to have that certification would perhaps slow down innovation or, or, you know, adoption, uh, potentially, I don't know, but, but maybe it's a great question, right? I think, I think it does both. I think it drives, um, and, and slows down innovation. And, and I say that because, you know, the process to go through, it, it depends on the level of expertise you have around regulatory requirements in your organization. I, I won't say it was easy for us because it was not, it's, it's a mountain, make no mistake, right? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a travel. It's a, it's a big journey to get that approval. 
and some organizations can do it faster than others. The larger organizations, it seems to take five, six, seven years and tens of millions of dollars, right? And, and as a smaller organization, we're more nimble. You know, we're able to move the ship uh, much easier. And, and for us, it was uh, a couple of years to get through it. But it's, it's an important thing. And I think that for us, at least, it drove a lot of innovation in our product because the FDA said, not unless this is in place or not unless this is in place. And it really opened up our eyes to a larger set of issues that we needed to consider than what our original platform had when we started that, that process. So, so the answer is, is both, really. I think it's a two-way street. It's, for some, it will slow down their innovation. And, and for others, it will it will drive innovation, but it'll definitely, you know, waiting is the hardest part, right? That that's a, a famous song, and that wait is as painful as you try and and wait for that device clearance, because really it doesn't allow you to market it, sell it, or utilize it unless you have that clearance. So so while that process is going on, you're in neutral. Yeah. Well, as a, wait. As, a, as a patient, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm cool with it, yeah, right? Yeah. I want decision support <laughs> software that has been through some rigor, right? you know, right. some FDA rigor. And, and so that totally makes sense. But then I'm sitting there, I think to myself, oh my God, you know, it really, it, and thank you for answering. I think clearly uh, I've got a good idea now. And, and yes, it would spark innovation. I mean, you know, obviously you're a, of, of a type of company that can pivot a little bit. Oh, yeah, right. we need to think about, oh, yeah, we got to go over here and right, do this right. thing now. Uh, and uh, what comes out at the end? A better product, you know, yeah. at the end of the road for everybody who's involved. But um, but that's really interesting. I did I, I was unaware of that. But, you know, that's good news, again, from being a patient side. Uh, good news there. It'll be interesting to see how that yeah. now manifests itself. A little scary, though, that what is it, 1% of, of, of yeah, the software? And, and being I, I, I mean, that's based on being in hospital and health systems, right, right? Sure. I mean, there's there's a very limited set of companies that have FDA class two approved right solutions specific to sepsis right there's there's decompensation there's other things so I know very few hospitals are using those solutions because they prefer to fall back on oh we can build it in the EHR but they can't and and it's been proven over decades unfortunately it's decades of harm to patients by trying to manipulate an EHR into a something that it's not. I think the other really good way to think about it is if you're a physician, you wouldn't put a non-FDA approved pacemaker in a patient. Right. You exactly. A, a, a patient up to a non-FDA approved ECMO um, unit in, a, in an ICU. You just wouldn't do it. So why would you have the diagnosis and the delivery of care run by a solution that does not have that same level of scrutiny. And is it, oh, go ahead. No, I'll say, I was, like, to me, like the bottom line here too, also for, especially if you're trying to sell this kind of thing or talk to someone about it is unlike retail, hospitality, supply chain, wherever else is you're trying to sell a solution where at worst picking the wrong one means you wasted some time and money. You're not as efficient or operable as you wanted to be. Maybe you got to pivot later on. Picking the wrong solution in this circumstance <laughs> could cost lives, literal I'm lives. I'm laughing, but it's not funny. I know. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, yeah. again, why would you want? Why would you not want to be as cautious as possible, yeah. pick the most proven solution well, as possible, the one really that has the appropriate backing? Because, yeah. again, there are lives at stake here. And I, when, when you know, we did this marketing campaign with you guys recently about sepsis and mm -hmm. bundle compliance, and to your point earlier, like I was shocked when I started doing research about some of the acceptable numbers that the whole 50 to 60% is yeah. passable bundle passable. compliance. Like, right. No, 
I was taught in school that's a that's an F, you know, like I'm sorry, it's not passable. And things like 6% of all hospitalizations are due to sepsis. 40% of sepsis patients are rehospitalized within 90 days. Like that's the kind of stats I look at and go, this stuff is terrifying. Like it is terrifying. No one wants to have to do I mean it's it, again, it's bad enough when you have to go to the hospital for any reason whatsoever. Yeah. But to go to the hospital and then find yourself with something worse that either brings you back or keeps state. you there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Again, this is about this is about saving lives. This is about keeping people, giving them the treatment and the care that they need, and then getting them on with their lives and not compounding and you know on top of all of that. Mm-hmm. Again, why would you want any solution that wasn't that didn't meet the the top of the guidelines as possible? Yeah, right? for yeah. sure. Right. Yeah. Why would yeah. you? You know, you're not going to cut cutting corners and saving a few pennies. That's the scrutiny not that the healthcare here. system lives under, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, they're allowed. Maybe go ahead, Tim. You have a comment there. And and I would argue that you know that you're you're totally on target on that. And and I don't think you're saving pennies, right? If you buy one of our competitors who's not a FDA class two cleared solution. It's not any cheaper than than what we cost. In fact, we're we're quite affordable, right? We just want to get the solution out there, and and save lives, like you mentioned. And and we see it all the time. We see hospital systems. There's one in Georgia that we were in a competitive uh, position with, and they chose a a non FDA approved solution. They went from 26 to 40th percentile in terms of treating their sepsis patients correctly, but that's still six out of 10. That is not right. You're not, you're not really making that huge of a difference. And we've, we've seen even worse. I mean, we see hospitals in the seven, eight, nine, 10 and 11%, right? So 7% means 93 out of a hundred patients are not getting treated correctly. That's abysmal. That's horrible. And it's unacceptable. And with the technologies that are out in the U S today, there's zero excuse for not being in the high eighties or low nineties you know, within 60 days of deploying a solution. Let's go down a, 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 a real quick sidetrack, if I could, and I'd just love to hear your opinion of this. So de- decision support software as a broad category, you know, as a patient with, that I will be at some point in my life, <laughs> I'd assume, you know, how, where do you see the industry going here? Is AI, you know, going to start driving? Is When I think about decisions that are made in healthcare, is, is it going to become more reliant on the AI and, and the algorithms making decisions or, you know, because I can imagine the old world, I guess, where the doctor or the, you know, the practitioners making the decisions, you know, a decision needs to be made on whatever it might be, mm-hmm. go, no go on surgery, whatever it is. Uh, Tim, are we starting to see more and more of this become automated, you know, through these processes? Is that where it's going to go? Or, and I'm just speaking really high level. No, it it absolutely is. Uh, In terms of AI, that's, that's a, so there are AI or ML uh, types of algorithms, right? That are, are learning models. Most of what we see on AI or ML is a model that was deployed where they let the algorithm learn. And then when they put it in the hospital, they put it in a black box and they lock it down and it no longer learns. And and the problem is things change over time. And so its efficacy um, may not be as good as it was when you first started. And then there's other examples where, you know, they deploy the model. Just look at the University of Michigan study that came out about a year ago uh, around an EHR. Um, that that model just didn't work. And and the new data pointing to their new model for AI 
it doesn't work either. I think the real question comes down to, is the algorithm indicative or is it predictive? And I don't know to what level you can predict you're going to get sepsis or you're going to get cancer. There is some certain levels where you can do that, especially around like HER2 breast cancer and, and, and DNA. But from a predicting perspective, I don't think that's the easiest thing to do in the world. Now, that being said, there is definitely a place for AI in this industry. So we can automate without AI using indicative algorithms, right? We have an indicative algorithm that takes your data and says, you know, Dean or John, you guys have sepsis. And then we can drive that clinical process by having the best practices or the CMS guidelines or the surviving sepsis campaigns guidelines codified into the solution to make sure that's, that's delivered. And AI works really great. Like uh, last week, I got a text from Wells Fargo that said, are you trying to transfer $27,000 out of your account? And the answer was no. No. <laughs> In fact, I think I said it differently, but it was no. <laughs> Insert um, expletive. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But AI is really good for those kind of things. Like, you know, Tim lives in Minnesota and he was just at the quick trip gas station an hour ago. So I don't think he's in Toronto buying a, you know, $1,000 stereo at Best Buy, right? I don't, those, those kind of things AI is really, really good at. And, and there's a lot of application for that in healthcare, whether it's reading uh, film or whether it's detecting labored breathing, but it, it doesn't apply as well as everybody thinks it will everywhere. We will see a lot more AI over the next 10 years. There is no question about it. Most of what we've done is more indicative. So we've got 1,330 algorithms across our larger platform that we've developed. So sepsis is just one of them. And, and, and that's where that whole malleable piece comes in. And they, they either detect or they drive clinical processes. But ultimately, the doctor is still involved, right? I mean, we, here we're giving them, we're enabling them through data, dashboards that are interpreting the data. Hey, we've got an indication of a heart murmur or whatever it may be, right? That, that, that is then utilized by the practitioner to make a better outcome or better decision along the way, right? Is that right. what you're saying? We, we, we give them the data to say, hey, we think this patient has X. The physician or nurse has to confirm or deny X, maybe it's actually Y, right? But at least we're pointing out the issue. And then and then the digital health really makes a major difference in driving that clinical process on the back end of that. The problem with clinical decision support as it's been applied in EHRs is it's a giant order set, right? So back to the sepsis example, you can order all seven elements. The patient might not need all seven elements. You might only need four right now and then two in an hour and then not need the last one, the perfusion assessment, right? Or might not need the vasopressors. But until the clinical conditions are right for that requirement, you know, you don't want to just blindly order from an order set and say, give them all seven, right? Or all seven. That, that clinical decision support really has a bad rap because that's really what it was in the EHR to begin with. And that has completely changed. Now we're, we're doing more digital health clinical decision support. So there's a definite major nuance there, a, a 20 degree turn, if you will. 
So, John, I guess Star Trek was right. Yeah. You know, bones is still it necessary. Is, yeah. <laughs> you still got to have the bones. You still got to have right, the doctor, right. but he's going to be, yeah, right. I and, mean, I don't want, like, I don't want a robot <laughs> doing it all for me. Well, that's I, where I was going. I, I want like, that Are we going to have robots you know? in 10 years making all these decisions and, <laughs> no. you know, well, there's you know, no this, such thing the, as doctors Oddly enough, anymore. this reminds me of a conversation we had recently about, you know, major league umpires in baseball. Oh, right, Accepting yes, exactly. and embracing technology to help them out with close calls mm-hmm. and balls and strikes mm-hmm. and stuff like that or whatever. While we may not, we may as like pure fans may be like, I don't know about that. The umpires, I'm sure they're probably like, hey, I don't like getting yelled at when I get the wrong call a couple times in a game or something, you know? Right. Uh, so, you know, to me, it's the same thing. Like, I would think doctors, like, again, again, there's a world difference here. Oh, yeah. Because world a doctor makes the wrong decision, somebody could potentially die. That's right. They, too, I would hope, are thinking like, hey, I want to have as much on my side as possible to help sure. me make the smartest and best decisions. Yes, at the end of the day, the actual human touch and, and human mm-hmm. intuition is irreplaceable by mm-hmm. even the most sophisticated of computers and technology. Mm-hmm. But having that kind of data backing you up so that you can make that decision and say, hey, I'm using my intelligence, intuition, and everything yeah, I've learned right. backed up yeah, by yeah, all yeah, this yeah. amazing amount of data and analytics yeah. that, that's on my side that, that proves that I've got this right. But he just opened my mind to it's the, it's the carry forward also that that's right. being implemented. Like, okay, well, here's the now health... Here's the process to getting better, you know, right. and it's automated in some way. Interesting yeah, stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Well, then let's get into Ambient yourselves. And, you know, we kind of touched on this a lot of what you guys do and how you approach all of this. So tell us a little bit more about your, you know, approach to digital health, to analytics. More importantly, how do your solutions kind of fit in to the healthcare space and into hospitals with what they're already using, what they're already doing? You mentioned, you know, these big EHRs earlier. Obviously, mm. you, you got to be able to play nice with that kind of stuff. Right. So how does Ambient slot right in? That, that's a, a great question. And I, I, I think probably the best thing to understand is like our, our legacy, right? So we're a, a Mayo spin out. We were actually created to help take creative solutions that are fostered in Mayo Rochester and then where it makes sense, drive them into the market. And um, with our, our first product that we developed with Mayo was our larger aware patient surveillance platform. And uh, that was done with a very close clinical partnership, right? So we didn't want to be the company that sits down in the basement in our Birkenstocks and shorts and tank tops and develop a solution that we think is going to be great for physicians and nurses. We actually developed this with physician and nurse uh, testing and input and, and feedback. And that's really how we got to what is today our, our hardened solution. And I think the other thing to understand is as we're moving forward, we're taking that uh, even further outside of Mayo. So we wanna get a different type of teaching university health system uh, feedback on that set of tools as we move into our second generation, which you know we're midstream on, on development with, and we've got a, a relationship that we're not quite ready to announce yet, but with a major teaching institution that's going to help us uh, in conjunction with Mayo take this platform to that next uh, level from an analytics perspective. So that, that's really how we develop our, our solutions. And, and all of our solutions will continue to be developed under that clinical model because I think it makes them clinically relevant, clinically effective. And then we know moving forward that it's something that there's a need for uh, in the market. I think the other thing to think about when you think about ambient is really uh, clinical situational awareness. I mean, that is probably the most important thing you can have in your 
digital health toolbox. Because if, if it doesn't make you aware of what's going on with the patient from a clinical perspective, then you know, it's, it's just not effective. And, and doing that well is important. So if you think of a intensivist, right, they, they sit in a dark room, you know, before they see the patient, and they go through the medical record. In, in one EHR, creatinine can be logged in seven, seven different areas, right? So if they want to look for creatinine, they have to go look in these seven different areas, right? So they spend 15, 20 minutes doing hundreds of clicks, pouring through uh, the EHR to find the data that they need to then go sit down and, and work with their patient. We bring all of that data consolidated and using iconography, a physician understands immediately what's going on and with a hover over can get to that same level of data. With a click can get to that same data across all of the organ systems uh, for a patient. So it really drives that clinical uh, situational uh, aware, awareness. I think the second thing to understand about Ambient is, although our start was in uh, the ICU, the intensive care unit, we've taken that application knowing that the pandemic, back to our first question, has caused uh, you know so many things to change and created so many stressors on physicians and nurses. We're, we're taking that tool and we're, we've expanded that across the whole general acute care. So if you're in a hospital that uses Ambient and you're a hospitalist or you're a nurse, you can look at a, a, any patient in any bed without having to be right next to them, right? So we're, we're helping alleviate that um, great mass resignation issue, if you will, as well as, as driving uh, the efficiency. And then the, the last thing I think that's super exciting about Ambient is if you think of, well, before I go there, as we go through this development process with this teaching university that I was referencing, we're going to be extending that into skilled nursing facilities and hospital at home. With all of the wearable devices that are out there today, we could easily monitor and understand what's happening with a patient. And so if, if I'm a physician at a skilled nursing facility and I want to consult from an emergency doctor or a hospitalist at the hospital or an intensivist, you know, do, do they have sepsis? Do we move them or are they just confused because they're old, right? That that kind of help uh, is available at the fingertips with this type of a solution. And then the hospital at home. And then the last thing I think that's important to understand is, is on the DART platform is, you know, we named it DART for a reason. It's part of the larger aware platform, but we also made it so we can pull it out, put it in as a low cost, low implementation barrier type of solution that's easy for hospitals to deploy starting with some of the things that we have developed on the DART platform. We mentioned sepsis earlier. Uh, we've, we've, we've done that. We've commercialized that. Uh, we've built a acute lung injury and ventilator-induced lung injury uh, detection and, and workflows as well. And over time, you'll see us add um, myocardial infarction, stroke, you know, all of the different types of things that can clinically occur to a patient in a hospital. Not all of them, but, you know, the major ones so that we are notifying physicians and nurses, Hey, this is potentially going to happen with that, with that particular patient. So that's, that's really important. And then I think the last piece to that DART platform is it allows hospitals to really drive towards compliance, not just for sepsis bundle elements, but for any bundle elements, any standardized treatment processes or protocols, you know, that can easily be codified and then drive that, 
process to uh, make sure that the patient is receiving the correct care, no matter what clinical condition they're facing. So that that's that's what we're doing in the marketplace today. Um, you know, a, a big part of that is sepsis. It's one of the largest problems in hospitals and health systems in the U.S. worldwide, actually. And so that's that's really where we chose to start on that smaller piece of the platform. Uh, and then we've got a few other platforms that we market as well in um, uh, Asia and, and Europe um, that don't really necessarily have applicability uh, completely here in the U.S., but um, uh, we certainly uh, market them in, in Asia as well, Europe. Isn't it nice to have a vetted partner, you yeah. know, that, that, that you can bring into a, a conversation and has that robust. Yeah, platform. no doubt. I, the thing that stood out to me the most is just this idea of like, hey, we actually worked with doctors and nurses and, you know, actual yeah. practitioners what? Yeah. and gave them a solution and put put together a solution based on their actual needs. Because <laughs> I, I find this and it's, this happens in a lot of industries, but I, I find this in healthcare a lot, too, where somebody says, all right, well, we've got this solution that does X, Y, Z. And we've done it over here in all these other industries. There's no reason why it couldn't work in healthcare too. Yeah, so well, healthcare, not? let's let's yeah, market let's it there. Like, swing. Yeah. Well, it's they they are different worlds. I hate yeah, to tell you that. And for if, sure. And if and if you haven't actually you know processed and worked through the iterations and understood what the healthcare needs are, mm -hmm. or your platform might be fit into it. So again, the bottom mm -hmm. line is, you know, we'll talk about this in a moment. Our value of the bar here is picking partners that understand the healthcare space, not the ones that simply yeah, have a solution right. that could be used could be. in healthcare. <laughs> Full so. air quotes. Yes. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, hey, before we wrap up here with our value to the VAR, um, let's you know take a quick moment to thank mm -hmm. our Tech Connect sponsors. Yep. We appreciate all the the fine folks that sponsor yes. this podcast, our yes. Tech Connect program. We Zebra, couldn't do it without Honeywell, you. Intel, all yeah, those we'll, folks. Yes, yes. End, of the, end of the year, we'll rattle them off then. It's just, <laughs> just too many to do on every single episode. You know, there you go. We, we, you probably get sick of hearing us enough as it is. So, uh, But hey, of course, as always, we want to hear from you, though. We want to know mm -hmm. what you think of the show. If you're watching on YouTube, like the episode, drop us a comment. Make sure you subscribe to our channel. We're doing all kinds of fun stuff on our YouTube channel these days. Yep, that's right. B make sure you subscribe so you don't you miss don't out on any of that. Yes. Yeah, you don't want to miss out when new episodes of our show come that's out. Right. Uh, if you're listening on any kind of podcast of your choices, if there's any opportunity to rate and review there, Apple Podcasts in particular, it's where yep. a lot of our listeners come from. Drop us a five-star rating review. Tell us what you think of the show. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to help kind of expand our audience. And we just like getting the feedback sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do this day in and day out, and you just want to know, am I doing good? That's right. You yes. Know? And if someone leaves you a comment and says, you guys are great, there you go. <laughs> Otherwise, you're yelling into a void. Yeah, I'm inspired like, for like another couple months when just yeah. one person says, you guys yeah, are doing good. Right. Yeah. So uh, please don't hesitate to do that. And, of course, uh, as always, reach out to us. First of all, if you want to tell us a topic you want to hear about on the show, Let's say you were listening to this episode. And you're like, hey, I want to go a little further into this one particular aspect of healthcare mm -hmm, and analytics. Mm -hmm, I want to, mm -hmm. I want a deeper dive. Can you guys get into that? Tell us. We will be happy to try to find someone to help us dig in. Maybe we bring Tim back on the show to talk about that a little mm -hmm. deeper. But either way, we have to know what you're interested in. So there's always a link in our show notes, whether you're listening on a podcaster, uh, whether you're watching on YouTube, go to that link, drop us in a quick, you know, hey, here's what I'd like to hear about. Here's my suggestion. Uh, just for sending that into us, whether we use it or not, we Boom. will send you a Tech Connect podcast T-shirt. There you go. That's it. Yeah. Minimal work. Just a little bit of, I'd like for you guys to, to talk about this. X. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll send you a T-shirt just for doing that. And if we end up using it, we'll call you out during the episode. We might reach out to you and ask for you to, hey, tell us what you want to, mm -hmm. kind of questions we should be asking. Let's dive a little deeper here. Mm -hmm. So tell us what you want. This podcast is for you as much as it is for me and Dean to just that's right. sit around talk. and ramble all yes, day long. That's right. Yeah. Sure, we can do this constantly. No, it's but, all about VAR education. Yeah, we'd like 
like to be doing it for a good reason for sure. because if we're telling you guys what you want to hear about. And finally, uh, to keep in touch with us, you can always find us on Twitter. That's at TechConnectPod. You can also email us, techconnect at bluestarinc.com. All right, let's wrap things up here. First of all, with our value to the VAR. Another one of these topics where I feel like you should have got a lot of value out of this, but let's let's compress yep. it. Let's yep. you know package it up, put a nice little bow on it, put it under the Christmas tree. There Christmas you go. Is coming yes. up. Uh, so healthcare, we know healthcare can be a fairly tough industry for resellers to tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of different people out there trying to get a piece of the pie. A lot, a lot of, of money solutions. in healthcare. A lot of money out there. Exactly. Yep. Everyone wants a part of that. That's right. So Tim, how do you think our bars can position themselves to be the kind of trusted partners? to tackle the big problems in healthcare and, and really truly offer solutions that are useful beyond just the standard, like, well, I've got a, I got a barcode scanner and a printer I'm going to sell you. So <laughs> how do they position themselves to be a little bit bigger and better than that? You know, I think the, the, the VARs have a great opportunity around, you know, two things really. One is I mentioned earlier, the, the part about being ingrained in that workflow. Right. And so a lot of those devices that those VARs are selling uh, are a communication platform, for example, right? So, you know, the ability to integrate those communication platforms into digital health tools like ours that are also integrated into the workflow is is a huge advantage. So if I'm a physician and I'm walking around with a Zebra or an Elo or a Honeywell device and and it, you know, tells me, hey, I have sepsis, right? With our, our solution on there, it, it really can help them, you know, separate their platforms from some of the other platforms that are that are on the market for sure i think that's a a tremendous value i love it absolutely partnerships that's how you win uh in today's world and and building onto your tech stack and having the ability of a great vetted partner like ambient to walk in there uh it's a no-brainer you know it, it you have to be in that flow you have to have those conversations and understand how these technologies are interfacing with the devices that you're implementing right, right. if you don't somebody else is uh and you're going to be out of the out of the game yep i agree so the last thing i will add is this is from my experience on the marketing side of things and marketing to healthcare can be a bit of a nightmare too yes just as much as selling into into healthcare Very or even difficult. just getting your foot in the door mm-hmm. well like i said we did this campaign recently with ambient about their the particularly about their sepsis platform mm-hmm. and they are one of maybe only two or three healthcare campaigns that I can think of over the last few years where there was a really strong reaction mm-hmm. and lots of interest and, and, and lots a, of leads, a lot yeah. of the right people saying, yes, I want to read this content right. and, I, and I, you know, I, and, and have been receptive to you guys reaching out to them after the fact too. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the tying factor to all those campaigns that have worked has been solutions that were above and beyond the standard stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, sure, you might be able to partner up with somebody and go out with an inventory management solution for healthcare. Guess what? There are probably a thousand other companies that mm-hmm. are doing the same doing the thing same. Yeah. Right, right now. Yeah. And there's not a lot there's not enough differentiation to really help you stand out. I'm not saying it's not a good thing, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying you might not win that business, but it's a lot harder to differentiate yourself when you're just going after something that everybody else is doing. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, barcodes, simple barcode scanning, mm-hmm. you know, to, to mm-hmm. track you know, lab samples or whatever. Again. There is a need, of course. Everybody's got to use it, but there are also a lot of solutions. When you partner up with someone like an Ambient, mm-hmm. who is going out there and speaking to a much broader and deeper level of need in in healthcare and in this whole analytics data yep. collection, the yep. stuff that these you know organizations know yeah. they need to get oh, better, absolutely. At. they know they need to do more with, mm-hmm. but they don't quite know how to approach it yet. 
that's the kind of partnerships that really move the needle and get you in the door and get someone actually to, to say, okay, I'll listen to what you have to talk yeah. about. Because I think if you're, if you're knocking on a door and saying, hey, I'm trying to sell you guys inventory management, like, mm-hmm. we're good. We'll come to you when we need something. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what's going to happen most of the time. That's when right. you knock on the door and say, hey, would you like to be a little better than 50 yeah. to 60% compliant yeah. in your sepsis? Yeah, how about getting They're in the They're probably going to hold that's that right. door open for a second and go, what? All right, tell me more, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. and, and potentially let you in. So <laughs> that's my advice for you. These kind of partnerships matter. That's right. Yeah. Tim, what were you going to add there? They, they do. I, I completely agree. I think the other piece to that is, you know, if, if you talk to them about, you know, what they're struggling with from a digital health perspective, it's, it's probably they're supporting their hospitals uh, that they partner with, right? From a, a ED, you know, might be a small rural uh, remote hospital that doesn't have intensivists or, or doesn't have the number of ED docs so needs evening, uh, m- you know, monitoring of, of the ED, those types of things. Or if they have uh, a sepsis issue, we're you know we'll support you 100%. If they say yes, we're interested. Just let us know. We're we're more than happy to help drive that with you at that point in time. Nice, awesome. Yeah, yep. as always, ask the questions. That's Find right. out what is really bugging them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's probably not so easy. Management. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ask the questions. Sit back and listen. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, let's wrap things up, as always, with our favorite segment, What's Tech Connecting yes, With sir. You? This is where we get to talk about something from the world of science, yep. tech, informa- yep. in, er, innovation, business, yep. Yep. whatever it is. Something that's got our eyes and we feel like talking about today. Tim, we'll let you start here. What's Tech Connecting With You right now? Well, may- maybe I should say what's not Tech Connecting With Me, right? I just oh, okay. Oh, we right, like even better. <laughs> I just helped my son move from Minneapolis to Austin, Texas, and I spent 1,200 miles over the course of two days in a a uh, budget rental panel van that was 24 feet long and it went 76 miles an hour. The suspension was horrible. It was, it was a very unpleasant, uh, two days. Once we got down there, it was a blast and it was a great time hanging out with my kids, but, uh, not, not a lot of technology advancements in, in the uh, moving space over the past few years. Yeah, <laughs> man, I, I can buy that entirely because I, now I'm a guy who, when I'm in my car, mm-hmm. I like, I'm sorry, but I like the luxury at this point. I've reached oh, my point where I, see. I, yes. I went through enough beaters and cars that <laughs> I could barely make the radio work and, you know, had to stick yes. a screw. I had one, I had to stick yes. a screwdriver to get the gear shift. Sure. To move. Yeah. I'm all about the little bit of a lap of luxury when it comes to my vehicles. That's fair. I like That's my fair. Apple CarPlay. Yeah. I like, you know, all the nice new gadgets. But these box the vans have not changed in no. 70 years. It, exactly. It's the exact same experience you would have had in the 1950s yep. taking your your son down. I'll Austin. tell you, if there's a, if, if someone wants to come out or, you know, a U-Haul or somebody wants to upgrade and, you know, go for some much, you know, nicer. Uh, you, you think can, there's a marketplace uh, out there? I think there is. Like I would, right. I would be willing to potentially, especially on a trip like you just had. Yeah. I would be willing to spend up a little bit to get some creature comforts that I'm used to in my own vehicle uh-huh. in, in, in a moving vehicle. So you haul the Cadillac version. You, you'd be <laughs> exactly. all over that. Yes. Exactly. I, I mean, like look, it. I mean, when, we, when, you, when you travel now and you get a rental car, yeah. you, most rental cars these days and rental companies are providing you with mo- very modern cars. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, I mean, for sure. Not, we're not, you know, not yeah. asking you to go out and drive a Tesla necessarily. No, but they're but all, like, yeah. It's they're, like most recent. of the time, they're modernized vehicles that 100%. have, again, a lot yeah. of the same yeah, comforts yeah, yeah, and innovation yeah, 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 yeah. that you're used to in your vehicle. That's right. Why are we not doing the same thing? No, not in this room. <laughs> that would not be tech connecting with me I, either. I think the only thing that's changed is it has an FM radio now. Yeah, right? yeah that's it's it. Exactly. So loud in that vehicle that you 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 can't even hear it. Right, you have to have the 
radio up so loud it hurts your ears. Yeah, see, that's just a noisy truck. Man. Yep, that would turn me right off. I All right, Dean, it. what's taking with you? Well, I got two. I, okay. I got one headline that's going to lead into the other one. But okay. uh, Meta acquires, you know, Meta. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm this familiar. thing that's going to rule the world <laughs> here. Potential nightmare one. company. Yeah. <laughs> potential. So they acquired three virtual reality video game developers, right? They've revealed their new $1,500 Quest Pro VR headset. By right, the way, are right. you buying one of those? You're not dropping $1,500 no, yet on that? I, okay. I have yet to get into the VR thing. Like, right, right. Yeah. I, maybe I just haven't had the great experience to make me want so, to get so into So they're it, investing oodles of dollars, right. right? I mean, they're buying up developers. They're doing the hardware side, all this good stuff. Here's the second headline I'm going to throw at you. <laughs> Billion-dollar Metaverse only has 38 active daily users. Wow. What? So th- somebody ran a, a, a little bit of report. All this money is getting dumped in. In fact, according to data aggregator DAP Radar, the Ethereum-based world of Decentraland, which is one of these worlds right, that you can right. be in in the, in, in the metaverse, um, actually only had 38 active users over a period of 24 hours. <laughs> so it's like they're dumping billions and billions into these things. Well, this one was a whopping 1.2 billion to make that universe that I just talked about. 38 people are using it daily. So what do you think, John? I mean, is it is like... What's going on here? <laughs> There's just so much hype about meta. As long as I'm not asked to foot the bill at any point for this. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the moment I'm I'm told I'm, you know, contributing to this um online world that only you know, a handful of people are actually utilizing. <laughs> I don't know, man. We've talked That's about this before. That's a pretty damning report. I'm like, it, it really that is. puts it into 38 people in 24 hours. I mean, and you spent 1.2 billion. Yeah. You got to have more people. I'm imagining that I'm missing out on this. Tim, do you feel like you're missing out on the meta? Maybe you're in the metaverse. Are you in the metaverse? I am not in the metaverse. Tim's you know, not one of the 38. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'm not. Not at all. Uh, you know, I don't even play video games to be honest with you. I, like I said, I'm a little bit of a dinosaur when it comes. <laughs> no, to so that. okay. Uh, yeah, we're on the same page. But I feel like I'm being left out. But apparently, no, no I'm not being. No. My son is a big video gamer. He loves playing the video games. In fact, he just got the new Call of Duty, played one game, and then was permanently banned. They have this massive issue where they're permanently banning thousands and thousands of, of players, and uh, it's driving all of the gamers crazy. Wow. Well, why did he get banned? Can I ask if you are? I... He doesn't know. He has no idea. He played it like for an hour, went to, I don't went to hang out with a friend, came back, and and apparently it's happening uh, across the country to gamers all over the place, and nobody knows why they're getting banned. Well, that's a good way to shut down your yeah, no <laughs> doubt. your company. Just start banning people yeah. from it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, okay. I thought that was kind of interesting, so there you go. I well, don't feel will, so alone we will anymore. not be in the metaverse anytime soon, apparently. What's tech connecting with you? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of going places where there are very few people. Oh. Um, you know, so we've got all these people talking about taking people out into space, yes, right? You right, know, like yeah. these low Earth orbit rides, and, and I've stuff talked that costs... about how sports are now going to be in space, yes, and that's yeah, the next you know, way. Everybody wants to get out into space and yes. get consumers out into space, shelling out some money to get you that's out right. there and Only check out space. Two hundred and fifty thousand. Well, what about the other great unexplored frontier right here on Earth, which is the depths of our oceans? Ooh. This is fair. Uh, specifically, is fair. there is a company called OceanGate, uh, okay. and their founder has started to basically came up with a, a way to start shuttling passengers 
on trips to the Titanic in particular. No. Because even 20 odd cool. years after that movie came out, yes. we're still obsessed with the still Titanic. Still obsessed and, with and, it, yes. want to yes. get down there. I, I and thought, dude, that thing is way down there. Yeah, That's, yeah, isn't it like is, a couple months? It's a two hour trip two hours. to get there, basically. Oh. So this guy, his name is uh, Rush. Uh, I can't remember his first name off the top of my head. An investor? Uh, well, an entrepreneur? It, it, Stockton Rush is his name. Mm-hmm. So he's this, yeah, he's an entrepreneur that has always been interested and fascinated by this. And it took him some time to basically create a submersible that would be comfortable enough to take passengers, multiple yeah. passengers. Because most of those are tiny, oh, yeah. tiny little things. I don't know if you ever watched like the James Cameron documentary that he did alongside. Yes, yes. You know, when he was preparing yeah. to make the movie, you know, he actually went on a lot of excursions mm-hmm. to Titanic to check mm-hmm. it out. And, you know, and he, and he made a documentary about it. Like we're talking very small little submersibles oh, with just a crew of maybe two to three people total uh, to exactly. get down there. Well, yeah. he wants to make it more of like a tourist thing where for the right price of $250,000. Oh, Why is that the right price for uh, everything? I, I, okay, I 250 grand, got it. You can get a chance to go see up close. He calls these uh, paying adventurers, they're called mission specialists, and they can pay up to 250000 each right. for a chance to see the Titanic up close. Oh, now, my. one of the selling points on this is that along the way, because again, I'm You're going like, to watch the Titanic a, movie? It's well, a three-hour like, <laughs> movie, so you get, get you in there. <laughs> you watch half on the way, have a snack break, get to the Titanic, watch the other half. No, but basically, like, you can explore oceanic life on the way down, too, because well, there's, a lot, cool. of, there's a lot of bioluminescent yeah, creatures as you through. get yeah, really yeah, deep yeah, yeah, down yeah, there. Yeah, right, right. But I, and I, I gotta say, that would fascinate me. That would I'd love fascinate to see me. some of that life up close. I don't want to freak out that I'm in this little tube that any yeah. kind of crack, boom, Yeah, gone. I don't know why, but for some reason, going deep into the ocean would terrify me more than going into space. Maybe oh, it's because right? I can't swim, so I'm not... Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, let's be honest. The same thing would happen to you if you, if, if something happened and you that thing broke. You're you're as dead as you would be on the sur- in space. Oh you yeah, know? you're so, dead. Yeah. yeah, you're dead Either within way. milliseconds or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. So this this article I have about it and always links in the show notes for this stuff. Uh, one young fellow named Renato Rojas, who is a businessman and a banker. Uh, pointed out to like his reasoning for wanting to do this. He goes, I'm not a millionaire. I've been saving money for a long, long time. I made a lot of sacrifices in my life to be able to get to Titanic. I don't have a car. I didn't get married yet. I don't have children. All of those decisions were because I wanted to go to wow. Titanic. <laughs> Holy moly, that's a dedicated guy. So he's Jeez. all in. Uh, Tim, are you all in? Tim, are you dropping 250K to go down no, and see the Titanic? No, my, my son said he was going to do that. I probably would uh, give him a hard time. It just amazes me that someone wants to drop 250K on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 I mean, that's a home. That's a home. Yeah. And purposely made decisions not to get married, <laughs> not to buy. I mean, what? Like, I hope it pays. I like, I hope it's worth it. That's I mean, the story in the story. right? It really there. is. Like, that's the guy I was like, I was like, well, this story is interesting. And I read that. And I'm like, I want a documentary about this. This dude. guy. Yeah. Like what made What is like, did he watch? Cause I'm sure he's young. I'm like, did he watch Titanic? When he was a child or something, it's just like, you know, that's right. it. My whole life is dedicated to yeah. getting down there and looking at this wrecked ship. You know? Oh, this is my mission in life. Yeah, this is gonna exactly. I, again, I hope it was Oof. worth it for him. So. Yeah. Maybe he's got some ancestral connection maybe. Uh, to the could, maybe. Uh, that could I'm going to go with that. Probably that makes not. me feel better. No, I'm going to go with that. If that's the case, then I can maybe start. Right, right. Yeah, you. Grandma right. was on there. Yeah, exactly. Outside of that, oh, no chance. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, no doubt. All right. Well, that's right. that's what's tech connecting with us. Uh, it is unfortunately time for us to unplug. Uh, Tim Keeplebeck from Ambient. Thank you so much Thanks, for joining Tim. us today. Thank you, gentlemen. It was great talking to you. Uh, until next time, find a way to blow two hundred fifty thousand dollars <laughs> on some random obsession, like a car, or a like house, a car, or a no, house. Go, go house. It appreciates. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Exactly. And as always, folks, please stay connected. 
Technic Podcast is brought to you by ELO. All right, Dean. So when you have all this analytics and data and clinical decision software yes, we've talked about yes. today, it's probably pretty useful to have a nice device in the palm of your hand. That, that would be helpful, yes. Utilize right? it, access it, yeah. right? Well, yeah. What good is that information if it's not communicating to somebody? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like if it's only going to like one computer in the corner of a dark room somewhere. Yeah, that's not going to help. With like a gatekeeper that only lets no, no, you no. in at certain times of the day. We need mobility. Yeah, Are we exactly. going mobility We're here? talking mobility. Oh, Elo's, like Elo's got us covered here. There right? you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're bringing their decades of touchscreen experience to the palm of your hand with the M50 handheld mobile Love computer. that device, yeah. It's an enterprise great Android device built for efficiency and connectivity. All right, let's talk some specs here. Okay. It's always our favorite part. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. 5.5-inch HD touch display. Huge. Yeah. Yep. Uh, integrated 2D barcode scanner. Nice. Android 10 OS. Need it. Rugged design for commercial use. Love it. You know, if you're dropping it all over oh, the place yeah. or spilling uh, stuff You think it's it going to be dropped a couple of times? I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, how many times do you drop your phone? All the time. And I just did. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a rugged device. No. Yeah. Uh, the M50 is ready to seamlessly integrate via, via EloView or the MDM of your choice. All right, mm-hmm. let's talk about what else you might want here. Okay. Long battery life. Yep, need it. Yep, check. It's got that. Quick charge. Oh, of course. Yeah, I got that. Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, 4G communications. Oh, I got to communicate. I can connect. Yeah, all yeah. the above. Got, got all that, too. Mm-hmm. Plenty of accessories. Oh, yes. There's that word accessories again. There you go. Elo's Modularity. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Elo, as always, has you covered. There you go. So the M50 is a bold choice for enterprises like warehousing, retail, healthcare, obviously. Mm-hmm. Delivery and more. To learn more, check out the link in the show notes or contact Blue Star's ELO team. Technic Podcast is also brought to you by Zebra. All right, if you're looking for the right place, rugged tablets yes. that have it all right out of the box. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we all we're all pretty comfortable with gear at this point. That you just open a box up and it's like ready it's to go. Got to work. Yeah, right exactly. out of the box. You yeah. don't. It doesn't want to be something that takes you weeks. No, no. You, know, you I, have to I, call I, in no. somebody to help you get everything no. installed. Yeah, yeah, you just want it ready to go. Yeah. Well, Zebra's ET40 and ET45 are the enterprise tablets that give your customers everything they need. Mm. The perfect replacement to consumer-grade tablets, the ET40 and 45, are available in an easy-to-carry 8-inch model or a 10-inch model for easy viewing of information-rich apps. Nice. Again, I'm thinking healthcare oh, here. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, Lots yeah, of yeah. opportunity. Again, yep. you, you know, you got all this data. Yeah. Nice, Dashboards, big, tablet Information to, to make these critical decisions. You got to see it. There you go. With the ET40 and 45, customers get thin and light consumer styling that is business tough. There it is. Business tough. Business tough, yes. I feel like I have to say it in that voice. Who's using using, uh, these other uh, tablets at this point? A shocking amount of people. Darn it, yeah. They need the Zebra. That's one of those hospitals you just walk out of. You walk in and you see me using like an old like iPad 2015 model. Yeah, move go, on. No, right. yep. sorry. Yeah. Like, I, gave, I gave mine to my kid. I'm not using that. Or give him your card and say, I can show you some zebra alternatives. <laughs> there it is. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Make sure they, you know, treat you first. I yeah, I guess so. Uh, all right. Inter- integrated enterprise class scanning, the fastest wireless connection, nice. a multi-year life cycle, powerful new communications options, new solutions that add new capabilities, allowing users to turn these tablets into a POS, a workstation, two-way radio, and a PBS. Handset. What? That's a, that's a lot of cool stuff one? you can do with one tablet. Holy yeah, moly, yeah. Plus, complimentary Zebra-only mobility DNA professional tools improve every aspect of the device lifecycle. Uh, customers can take worker productivity to the next level by upgrading to the Mobility DNA Enterprise Toolkit with additional value-add software tools. Man, these things sound nice. sweet. Nice. Right but, out of the box. But can you play Angry Birds on it? <laughs> sure. Are people can. still playing Angry Birds? I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> you just dated yourself. Thank I, you so much. I yes. did. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, learn more about the ET40 and 45 tablets and snag some useful selling tools by checking out the link in the show notes.